Sponsor it was brought to you by our good friends at River. River is a Bitcoin company. It has an exchange, has mining, has lightning API that you can build on. I, I was often referring to it as a Bitcoin exchange. It certainly does have an exchange, but it's more than that. It's a Bitcoin company. If you're looking to acquire Bitcoin, you're looking at the, the banking crisis unfolding right now here in the United States. And you're thinking, hmm, there's a lot of counterparty risk there. Maybe I should get an asset that eliminates that counterparty risk. Bitcoin. Go to River. River.com slash TFTC. They have the exchange. You can DCA. If you DCA into Bitcoin, you won't pay any fees on those buys. If you hold Bitcoin on River, they don't recommend it. They want you to send it to cold storage that you control. But if you do hold it on River, you can have the peace of mind knowing that your Bitcoin is 100% reserved on the exchange and is held in a multi-sig wallet. Uh, you can send and receive over Lightning to River. Uh, and again, if you want to build on Lightning, they have River Lightning services, that their API. So go check it out. Maybe you have a Bitcoin exchange that you're using, but you should be using a Bitcoin company, River. You get the exchange plus a bunch of value-added services. River.com slash TFTC. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends down the hall, Unchained Capital. They're here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model, help you eliminate the third-party custody risk that exists in the incumbent banking system that is taking a lot of people out right now. They have their Vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig uh, wallet where you hold two keys, Unchained holds one. As long as you have your two keys, you have permissionless access to your Bitcoin. It's a beautiful thing. If you're ever in a pinch and need Unchained to be the second in the two or three uh, signature quorum, they're there for you. Uh, they have a consultation service that'll walk you through everything, get you hardware wallets, get you set up, get you comfortable. Go to unchained.com slash consultation. Tell them that TFTC sent you. You'll get $50 off that service. They also just released an inheritance protocol. They have a lending desk, an IRA product, a financial company of the future. Unchained Capital. Go to unchained.com slash consultation, learn about everything they have going on there. This work was also brought to you by good friends at CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is here to help you reimagine how you pay for your, your health care. Health insurance is notoriously opaque, impersonal, egregiously expensive. I was on Cobra paying an insane amount. I switched to CrowdHealth. It's not health insurance. It's a different way of doing health care, paying for your health care. Uh, it's significantly cheaper. I have my family of four on it. We're paying way less than we were on Cobra. So if you're an individual who unfortunately just got laid off in these tech sector layoffs and you're, you're using Cobra right now, I know from personal experience how expensive it is. I would seriously consider CrowdHealth. Uh, it's a great community. You um, pay a monthly fee into a dedicated account that builds up. If you ever have a healthcare expense, you bring the bill to CrowdHealth. They negotiate it lower for you. You go to the doctor, say, hey, we can pay you in cash right away. Let's, let's get a cheaper price. And the doctor likes that. They're like, hey, I'm getting paid cash right away. Sure. I'll lower the price. You pay the first $500 of that bill, and then the rest gets crowdfunded by the CrowdHealth community. They have a Bitcoin community where you'll pay your monthly fee. It'll build up in your dollar account, and then after a certain amount of months, uh, you'll begin to stack Bitcoin along uh, that dollar account as well. So you can speculative attack your future healthcare costs. Another thing to mention about CrowdHealth is it is a community of healthy individuals. Uh, you do have some metrics you have to hit to get into the community and because of that, the overall BMI of CrowdHealth users is lower than the national average uh, and overall healthcare costs for the health, the CrowdHealth community is lower than the average American health insurance plan. So go check it out, joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Use that code, you're going to get $99 a month for the membership fee for the first six months. Joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Bitcoin Talent Co. They're here to help you 
find a job or find talent. Uh, a recruiting firm bit, built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners, uh, so they understand the different companies in the space looking for talent and what they need, whether it's Lightning, uh, a Lightning developer, or somebody who knows UX around Lightning, or somebody's working on multi-sig at the protocol layer, they know what they need to go out and find. Uh, and then on the talent side of things, uh, if you're out there, you're in the tech sector, you're in the banking sector, but you're a Bitcoiner, you don't know how to get in, go to bitcointalent.co, tell them the TFTC sent you. Um, yeah, if you're a company, hit them up. If you're talent looking to get into a company, hit them up. It's a beautiful thing. Enjoy this, Red Freaks. Take care. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Woo. Garrett, welcome to the studio. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, it's been a couple months in the making because of our delays. Yeah. So thank you. And we met through Whitney Webb, so I got to give her a shout out. Yeah, we have to shout out Whitney. <laughs> special girl. Very special. Probably one of the, the last true investigative journalists on the planet. Yes, touching taboo topics that other supposedly investigative journalists, independent, won't even touch. Yeah, which is one of the topics we're going to touch touch yeah. on today, which is something that seems to be getting swept under under the rug, which is yeah. uh, the Biden laptop report. Yes. Which is a very controversial topic in this country and something that uh, the powers that be, particularly the president and his administration, wants to stay away from. But yeah. it's something that you've spent an immense amount of time diving into and documenting to, to bring forth some of the degeneracy that, uh, that Hunter was involved in but also some of the corruption that uh, yeah that was living on that laptop yeah blatant criminality and you know most of the conservatards have focused on this suppression angle of it only with twitter and all the other media companies i almost fall asleep when i hear that conversation because that covers like seven pages of our report but what people are missing in you know michael schellenberger and the other people who've gone through all i've ask for so long to go through the Twitter files myself because I don't want to I don't want to read other people's interpretation especially of the Biden stuff so I've been unsuccessful in getting access to this but the Michael Schoenberger angle he focused so much on how they tried to block the material and what we what we've really missed is the actual content of the damn thing and that's where we come in um, I, I'm confident to say that nobody in the Western world I, I just say the Western world because I'm sure the Chinese have a deeper dossier on the Bidens than we do uh, in their Ministry of State Security. But in the Western world, I'm confident that nobody has dug into the American first family more than us. And so that's where I'll start. Um, I've just become obsessed with studying the family. I've done it for 
about two years now, and I took 18 months to write this comprehensive dossier. And uh, that's how me and Whitney got connected because uh, there's so much. Joey B, the president, was the leading force behind China getting into the WTO and the Senate side. And so it's now been a full arc of, of 20 years. Joe was at the beginning of getting China in the WTO, and now he's benefiting um, through his son because his son is still invested. He has a 10% share in a state-backed fund called BHR. Yeah. And that who was the whistleblower was involved with them. It went on Tucker. His name, yeah, his name is Tony Bobolinsky. Um, he is a bombastic uh, former wrestler at Penn State from your home state. He uh, was in the Navy, and we talked about a half a dozen times for this report, and I'm very grateful to Tony, but um, he is very haughty and had courage and uh, came forth. So basically, weirdly, Tony Bobolinsky signed up to help the Bidens spread the Belt and Road Initiative around the world and realized that he got screwed by Hunter. Basically, what happened is they were going to get like a $10 million windfall and Hunter cut Tony out and kept the money himself and got it through another LLC vehicle. And Tony didn't realize everything that had happened until this report came out in September of 2020 by Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson. And so Tony's in this weird spot of being a whistleblower, absolutely. But he was also like in bed with him in a way, but then came clean. He mm-hmm. like uh, righteously kissed and, and told about it. So Tony's definitely on the right side of things in this scenario, but it's a weird case because for a time, he too was signed up to spread the Belt and Road Initiative around the world. And you know what BRI is, but some people may not know. And it's basically like Hunter wasn't an international businessman selling like Japanese software to American clients. He was trying to get uh, Chinese imperialism into Colombia, into the United States through infrastructure programs. Yes. So we've covered <laughs> the Belt and Road pretty extensively uh, not extensively but we've touched on it in many episodes but the concept is the chinese will go in african countries latin american countries try to infiltrate america uh, via Huawei, uh specifically just say hey we'll give you this technology or this infrastructure uh particularly in africa and latin america we'll we'll give you money to build this out but eventually it's just like a a resource grab they'll never be able to pay back the debt the chinese will just yes. acquire those assets essentially yeah it's it's um again i'm not ignorant to what the british empire and other western white empires did in the centuries preceding us right so i'm not saying that uh that we've never done our our side the western world has never done an equivalent of bri i'm just saying now they're not really being honest about what it is and the fact that uh, Hunter thought this was a good thing. And Joe, again, the main thing with Tony, you mentioned Tony Bobolinsky. The main thing with that entire story that, again, the media is ignoring is that Joe was on the ground floor. The reason why Tony came forward and to rational beings who aren't biased, it was important, was because Tony met with Joe twice about this. So, like, Joe was well aware of what the Biden family was going to do with CEFC. And so essentially you have an American president now whose family um, 
the deal wasn't consummated completely. They were planning on getting like some so Hunter in an email said that the deal was uh, three years long, 10 million a year guaranteed just for introductions alone to these American political figures to get to start out these infrastructure projects. But they own I don't I don't, don't want to say only, but the final figure ended up being six point eight million that we have a paper trail of. So the Bidens collected six point eight million dollars in a planned joint venture with the Chinese company that was going to spread the Belt and Road Initiative. And that's what we have for an American president. And so just to express the gravity of this, like, is, is this pay to play, essentially? Yeah, what the, the statutes in our report, we go, th- I went through every single email, uh, 128,000 emails on the on the device that was abandoned at a repair shop. We put all of those emails online, by the way, that any of your viewers can go look up. It's called BidenLaptopEmails.com. It's a simple Boolean search. Uh, and, and what's different than WikiLeaks is that we put the entire cache up there that, so people can, if they if they want to see the metadata for the emails, because I'm obsessed with metadata, they can go download it themselves so they don't just have to search our site. You can go download the 128,000 emails, look at, e- look at the metadata for each, and search for them by, you know, it's fascinating to go by by keyword search or just uh, email address and uh, and so what we did was we went through all these emails, all of the iMessages, Marty, and we found at the very least this is a floor, uh, four hundred and fifty nine violations of state and federal laws and regulations. I don't say statutes because some of the stuff we cite are regulations, not passed by Congress per se, but by the by the agencies. Um, so. 459, and the lion's share of these violations are FAR violations representing a foreign principal without declaring that representation to the Justice Department, and then money laundering, which obviously is a, <laughs> is something that we can talk about here because your audience is a little bit different than some of the shows I go on. So I think they know more about money laundering than most of the shows I go on. So FAR violations, money laundering, and then that's the first section of the report, business-related crimes. In the report, by the way, if anybody wants to follow along, is free online at our website, marcopolousa.org. You can keyword search. You can uh, you can follow along. And uh, so the business-related crimes is first. And then the smaller two sections uh, following that are sex-related crimes and drug-related crimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I mean, you, you guys censor a lot of the... Uh <laughs> the, yeah, the pictures, we, but we put no genitalia. Vulgar. Yeah, it's extremely vulgar. We cover up all the genitalia. We we put a disclaimer at the, at the at the front page that says this is for an adult readership, so we don't put we don't put any genitalia out there. You know, one of the left wing talking points is that like the Republicans are obsessed with Hunter Biden's genitalia. It's like maybe some other weird people are, but we're certainly not. We <laughs> that's not our focus. If Hunter Biden was purely a degenerate with no business interests, this would be like a story worth one or two Substack articles. Yeah, it's <laughs> a sad story if it yeah, was just that. If it was just that, it would be a joke and um and but it's that he's kept the influence peddling going with his art sales. Yeah, and that well that's what I think there's been an intentional push to focus on like the degeneracy on the yes. laptop uh, and not cover the the corruption that seems to be to be living on this device and yes. that's why I'm happy you're here today and we can begin diving into yes. these violations and the the scope of the corruption and the depth of it like like mm-hmm. how bad is it well, the beautiful thing is that we don't have to uh, take it from second and third hand sources. So, for instance, if we just had Tony Bobolinsky coming forward about this deal, 
the report that we would have been able to write would be maybe like 150 pages. But the fact is, is that unlike FOIA requests or other leaks, we have all of the all of the material firsthand. It's primary primary yeah, sources. Imagine if somebody actually had your laptop, they could do a complete, or my laptop, they could do a complete digital colonoscopy, as we call it. Um, that's what we've done. So basically, uh, our group, I use a leftist term, I, I want to call it overtly leftist, but a leftist sounding term to describe us. We're basically an OSINT collective. So what we did for over a year is basically we looked at the laptop contacts, there are about 4,500 of them. We found we somebody wrote a script based on the contents of the emails to see who Hunter was corresponding with the most. So we took the top 25 people that he emailed with the most and ran background checks on every single one of them. We see which LLCs they're invested in. And then we basically make a link analysis chart of how Hunter knows them and and see which deals they're talking about on the laptop. Because we have an, this laptop is incredible in that we get to see their correspondence real time. So unlike, you know, other groups that maybe have to sue to get agency communications through the FOIA and then the damn agencies redact half of it, we get to see exactly how Hunter responded in the moment. And in it's not just Hunter. In these emails, you have... Uh, verifiable proof that Hunter and Joe shared bank accounts along with Hunter's business partner. And both of those people had authority to write checks and uh, deposit money on behalf of the sitting vice president of the United States. Um, we have just going, going through my mind's eye of, of the report, uh, SEC fraud. They backdated documents con uh, involving their broker dealer. They, uh, did other things involving uh, involving money laundering, and of course, all of these all of these scenarios, Marty, are not they're not dealing with other Americans most of the time. They're dealing with foreign nationals, which brings another level of this to it. If it if it were just domestic lobbying uh, scenarios, it would be sort of scummy and very K Street and very corrupt. But I don't think the impact would be as, as high. It's the fact that they're dealing with uh, Kazakhstani oligarchs, uh, Chinese oligarchs, Romanian oligarchs. It's truly global in its scale. So we're not saying that the Bidens started being corrupt when Joey became the vice president. I think they've always been corrupt, but the scale of it became much greater because there are opportunities for Hunter to be a consultant to these countries or to be a, a consultant to oligarchs from these countries increased when his dad became the VP. Yeah. So it seems like Hunter is simply a conduit for these other foreign actors, yes. state actors to get <clears throat> influence in the U S or uh, at the very least via the president. So what, what are the intentions of China, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, or everybody on this list? Yeah. The, well, not speculating, just going off, purely the email correspondence, usually they hire him for a specific purpose. So in the in the example of Ukraine and Romania, they're very similar. You have a, a foreign oligarch. In the case of Ukraine, it was Mikola Zolchevsky. In the case of Romania, it was Gabriel Popovicu. And both of them were being pursued by law enforcement within their own country. And what they hired Hunter for and we have, we have the wire transfers for some of these and the email correspondence. What they wanted Hunter to do was use his influence and connections 
in the U.S. government, specifically the U.S. embassies abroad in uh, Kiev and Bucharest, respectively, to basically strong arm and or nudge those officials within their own countries not to go after these figures. So what did this amount to? In Ukraine, it it amounted to Joe uh, threatening to withhold a loan guarantee of $1 billion that was going to come through the IMF if Petro Poroshenko, the then president of Ukraine, would not fire Viktor Shokin. And this was, this, there's a clip of this. There's an amazing clip of this that occurred in January of 2018 with Joey, Richard Haas, and Michael Carpenter, who's our current ambassador to the OSCE um, in, at the Council of Foreign Relations, that organization that I'm sure you know, you loathe this just as much as I do. Uh, the CFR is behind, I think, a lot of the things going wrong in, in the world. But he, he basically brags about it. He's like, you know, uh, if I'm leaving here in six hours, if the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Yeah. And he brags about, well, son of a bitch, you got fired. And, and well, just based off that clip, people were only able to speculate that there was some influence peddling going on. But via the laptop and the documents you found, you're actually... Like that's, that's cold hard proof. Yeah, that's a very that's a very good point. It was just speculation before Hunter left off, you know, left his laptop. But basically, all that occurred in that phone call that Joe was recounting that occurred in December of 2015. In November of 2015, there is an email from Vadim Pizarski, who is the executive uh, advisor to Burisma's board, saying that, Hunter, we would really appreciate if you could use your influence to convey a signal. And this is in broken English, by the way. That's why I'm talking like this. This is Vadim writing to Hunter. Use your influence uh, to convey a signal that these are politically motivated attacks against against McCullough and uh, to shut down these investigations. So Joe's doing this two weeks after Hunter gets an email that says, we'd like these investigations shut down. So you make a great point. If somebody is a skeptic and listening to me right now, if we're just going off Joe's public statements, it's smelly and requires further investigation. But because we have the primary source material of Hunter at the time, we can definitively show that Hunter was being asked to do this, and his dad then effectuated the ask two weeks later. And if somebody is a skeptic even more, consider this. The main retort to what I just said by Dan Goldman and other people uh, in politics is that Joe was just effectuating U.S. policy more broadly, that everybody wanted the prosecutor gone because in their mind the prosecutor wasn't doing enough to, to prosecute corruption. Which is ridiculous. But but anyways, we now have a document through John Solomon. He got this through FOIA. We now have a document through John Solomon that shows there was an interagency memo in November of 2015 at the exact time Hunter was receiving that email showing that the U.S. interagency approved of the job that Victor Shokin was doing. And thus, they wanted to approve the IMF loan again. So it shows that Joe reversed U.S. official U.S. policy, official U.S. interagency policy, two weeks after the interagency agreed that Shokin was doing a good job. And what, so how do they explain that? They don't. They don't want to address that interagency memo. And by the way, that only came out in 2022. So during the impeachment, that was the key comeback from Jamie Raskin and all these other people, that Joe wasn't doing this for any personal gain whatsoever. He was just going along with what the EU and other American executive agencies wanted to do, which was fire Shokin. But we now know that these executive agencies didn't want to fire Shokin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's It's, 
it, it's it, without the memo from Solomon, if I am a skeptic, what this scenario is like 80% uh, solid without Solomon's interagency memo. Because I can prove the emails from Vadim Pazarsky, and I can prove that Joe took t- did that call on December 7th with Poroshenko in 2015. But with Solomon's memo, the case is shut. I would love to be able to... Dan's, Dan Goldman pisses me off so much because he, he speaks with such conviction, and nobody on the Hill is smart enough to bring up that other memo that shows that Joe was doing exactly the opposite of what the interagency recommended. So that's Ukraine, and I know I'm going on a monologue because I get so excited, but the other one is, is, is Romania. That oligarch is named Gabriel Popovicu. He got uh, convicted and sentenced to seven years of prison for bribery over a commercial real estate deal in downtown Bucharest called uh, uh, Banasia, B-A-N-A-S-E-A. For anybody at home, they can go look it up. And um, what happened is Hunter, Mike Gottlieb, Christopher Boys, and Louis Free, the former director of the FBI, the guy in the 90s who oversaw Ruby Ridge, Waco, the 9-11 bombings, Louis Free was in charge for all of that. He and Hunter basically lobbied the U.S. Embassy in Bucharest, and we have proof of this. The then U.S. Ambassador, Hans Klim, met with Hunter to discuss the U.S. Embassy on uh, advocating on behalf of Gabriel Popovicu, and they were getting paid 60 grand a month. They got a contract for sixty grand a month to set up these meetings from 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 the from the from the Romanian oligarch. Guess what? He got off eventually. He fled to London. There there was an inter. They they tried to get an Interpol warrant out. He was a fugitive in London for years, and he got a London court to call off the conviction. Romanian oligarch Gabriel Popovicu, um, and so what we have here in just in, in, in anybody who's interested in these two scenarios that I just laid out, uh, they can go look at all the emails that I'm. You know, I say a 644 page report. That's true, but only half of it is writing. It's a lot of footnotes. Yeah, and it's a lot of exhibits. It's not boring. So if you're if you're just tuning in and thinking, well, I don't want to read 650 pages. All that we're doing is showing the original exhibits and then explaining what they are right above them. And so if you just want to go read those two subsections in the business-related crimes in about Ukraine and Romania, you can do that in 90 minutes. That's like a Saturday afternoon thing. So I, I just don't, I don't want people to be dissuaded from looking into it because it's so it's so long. The Romanian one is, is particularly interesting because it involves a gentleman named Mike Gottlieb, who, who's a Democratic fixer. He was the attorney for Seth Rich's brother, oh. Aaron Rich, uh, when they sued uh, Fox News for, for defamation. He was also, Michael Gottlieb was just at the January 6 hearings because he represented Ruby Freeman. So Mike Gottlieb represented Hunter Biden, Seth Rich's brother, and Ruby Freeman. And he worked at Boy Schiller Flexner at the time. And uh, Mike Gottlieb is basically the guy the Democrats bring in, or I don't even say Democrats, it's much broader than that. Like highfalutin leftists bring in when they have a real problem. So Mike Gottlieb now is, at, I think he's at Wilkie and Farr, I think. Uh, but he, he was, a, he was uh, the counsel in the Obama White House. And he's, of any of the figures in this laptop, I would say Mike Gottlieb is one of the smartest and one of the sharpest and the most cunning. We talked before the camera started rolling about Hunter's IQ. And I'm 
I'm not coming here today telling you that Hunter's this mastermind, this genius mastermind. What I, how I describe him to many people is a political whore. So he'll whore his connections and family out to somebody who can use him. And the, the people that use him are varied. They're foreign oligarchs. They're domestic lawyers. They're other lobbyists who know they can get something from him. So the thesis is not that Hunter is this, gen- is this genius. It's that he is, like you said, he's a conduit. And his job was to bring in money for the family because his now deceased older brother was the attorney general, always worked in public office, was the assistant U.S. attorney in Philadelphia for a time, if you knew that, Bo Biden mm-hmm. was. And so Hunter's job was to bring in the bacon. And he actually complains to his daughter, Naomi, who just got married at the White House in November of 2022, that he had to give his dad his salary for 30 years or half his salary for 30 years. So we have an admission from the son of the U.S. president to the granddaughter of the U.S. president that said the president forced Hunter to give him half his salary for his entire life. That in other in a, in a sane country, that's a RICO violation. Basically, that will that will have meant that Joe lied on his tax returns, in that Hunter fed him money illegally and he didn't declare the gift tax on that. Yeah, and going back to like Bobolinsky, I think that was one thing that his uh, his admission really highlighted is that Joe tries to stay like as disconnected as possible, but there are these few and far between like hard evidence points where it's like, he does know what's going on. Yeah. They always, one of the, the phrase that, no, it's a very good point. The phrase that Bob Alinsky said, Jim Biden used was plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. So their entire goal is to make Joe aware enough to where he, by the way, Hunter calls him his chairman. So in business, you know, in, in business, we all know that, uh, Depending on the corporation, the chairman could have a vast voting rights. So before they go into any deal, Joey has the final sign-off. So he called him as chairman. He was totally aware of what they were doing with CEFC. And um, again, to anybody who says that, uh, well, Joe was out of office at that time. He met with Tony Bobolinsky in May of 2017. Well, of course, that's not my, my that's not my dispute. I know that Joe was out of office. What we're saying occurred is that federal felonies occurred because they broke the FAR, the Foreign Agent Registration Act. And so a lot of people on the right, though, because they're not nerds like me, they don't actually study U.S. code. So they say, well, that's corrupt, but that's not that's. There's no there's no law that just says corrupt. You have to you have to break a specific statute. And that's that's what we bring to the table. And that's why I've not been able to get on very many centrist or left wing podcasts, even though I've asked many, many times. I've uh, Dan Abrams, who runs this News Nation site uh, and show he's I'm sure you know of Dan Abrams. Mm-hmm. He, he runs Law and Crime. I've texted Dan Abrams probably once a week for four months saying that, uh, well, Tony Bobolinsky wouldn't go on a show. So Tony Bobolinsky went on Tucker and said, uh, anybody who wants to interview me at CNN or anywhere else, I'm, I'm open. Well, Dan Abrams took him up on that request. For some reason, Tony didn't respond. And so I jumped in. I said, hey, uh, let's do a show and you can ask me anything about our dossier and we can do it live. So if I mess up, everybody gets to see it live and he won't respond to me. He won't take me up on my offer. <laughs> Uh, so they uh, they don't want to talk about a specific statute because it they they expect 
their listeners to just say, well, the Republicans don't have anything or any, anybody who's criticizing the Biden is just a Republican and I'm not a Republican. So, yeah, well, that's, I think it's a very important frame to work from too is, and this is where I, like, I'm a Bitcoiner. I'm completely disenchanted by the whole political system. (laughs) I think all of them are corrupt. And like, I think we don't even have to lean into like Biden being a Democrat or no, leftist trying to protect, like it's just like pure corruption. Just yeah, looking at ones and zeros, binary spreadsheet. Like, is this corrupt? Is this not corrupt? Don't care if he's a Democrat or Republican. Like, it's objectively, or it seems that the evidence that you have in this report proves that it's objectively corrupt to and through. Yeah, and I no, it's it's a it's a very good point. We actually we counted. We actually uh, criticize and talk about more Republicans in this report than Democrats. Most people don't know that because they won't read the whole thing. But no, Hunter Biden is a product of a, is a of a cartel, of a total uniparty. It's disgusting. And, you know, going off of that, one of the, um, one of the things about Joe's career is that he was always in the Senate known as like this bipartisan collegial guy. So like he's been willing to play the uniparty game and not really. By the way, Joe's changed positions on everything uh, throughout his from busing to abortion. He was actually pro-life at one point. So and he, he, he supported those measures like he said abortion should be rare. What I'm trying to get across, maybe inarticulately, is that Joe puts his finger to the wind, measures, measures public sentiment, and then will change his opinions accordingly. There's no like conviction that that says in him, you know what? I don't give a shit what the polls say on this issue. I believe this, and that I think that touches on what you said, which is that um, it's all it's all politics. There's no there's no uh, principle. There's no principle in this. Um, But no, it's like lick his finger, hold it to the wind, and like publicly posture what he thinks people want to hear. But then behind the scenes, he's just like doing whatever the fuck he wants. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. Hunter we, as a conduit to do whatever he wants. Yeah, and they always say, well, that uh, you know, no, no member of the of the family was in government. It's, it's just a complete lie. Hunter was actually the vice chairman of Amtrak. Did you know that? I did not. Hunter's qualifications. He said this in a Senate hearing, and he was actually nominated by George W. Bush, which is pretty rich. Not surprising to you and me, but yeah, George W. Bush from Texas here nominated Hunter Biden to be the vice chairman of Amtrak. We invited him to, he nominated him to be on the board. And then once he was on the board, he was elected the vice chairman. But in the Senate hearing, Hunter said that one of his qualifications is that he rode trains a lot. (laughs) That was one of his qualifications. He said that in this, in the U S Senate. So uh, again, if you ride trains a lot, maybe you too can be the vice chairman of Amtrak. Ironically though, he did actually commit a sex trafficking offense with Amtrak. He, he, the, he, he, he moved a couple of 19 year old girls from Boston to New York as prostitutes and he actually bought them Amtrak tickets. So why is this, why is this relevant? Cause I think it's ironic that the vice chairman of Amtrak used that mode of transportation uh, to, to commit a sex trafficking offense. So across um, state lines, across state lines that, and by the way, we're very fair to Hunter. There's a lot of solicitation in this, like using escort sites. We don't com- we don't accuse him of sex trafficking when he's using, uh, when he gets a hooker, uh, uh, for you know everything involving one state, I said that sloppily, but my point is, is that sex trafficking only occurs when you move people across state lines. So I don't want somebody who's never heard of me before to think that we just throw statutes out willy nilly. No, we had, I think we paid an attorney like fifteen grand to go over this, like to check ev- check our work. If I cited a statute, that attorney had that, like that you know, 
LexisNexis Legal on the other tab and making sure that everything that I put down was correct to the statute. Um, that's why they sued the shop owner, but all I get from Hunter's attorneys is demands for an apology. They don't even cite a statute that I violated. Well, I think that's an important thing to bring up that we haven't discussed yet. You, you think recording this episode today particularly is very timely considering what's happened in the previous few days. Yeah. Uh, so 24 hours ago, Hunter's attorneys filed a counterclaim against the laptop shop owner. So for those of you who don't know, Hunter left this device at a repair shop. And one of the reasons why we think he, he, he forgot it is because he brought in three Macs that day. I have one laptop. I'm sure you might just have one laptop. Normal people have one MacBook, but Hunter had three at least, and he brought in three to the repair shop because they were all water damaged, which is just hilarious and fitting for Hunter Biden. It turns out one of them was beyond repair. One of them was completely waterlogged. The other was going to work, and the repair shop owner just gave him an external keyboard. The keyboard was shot, but the actual computer was fine. By the way, Hunter has never returned that keyboard, hilariously. So he actually owes the, the shop owner 85 bucks for a new keyboard. But And then the third one, the shop owner said, yeah, I can get the data off this one, but I need you to get an uh, uh, to bring in an external hard drive for me to transfer it onto. So Hunter Biden actually comes back. That that first interaction occurred on a Friday. He comes back the next week with a hard, with a Western Digital uh, external hard drive from Best Buy, and the laptop shop owner transfers the data onto that. And then months go by. Hunter Biden doesn't pick it up, even though he's called. And after 90 days, the agreement he signed, the property was now the shop owners. He starts going through it, recognizes there's all this shit, business correspondence, invoices, tax returns, uh, porn videos. Like it, he calls the FBI and says, I'd like you to take a look at this. They basically stonewall him for a couple of months. He finally gets him to take it. The FBI acquires the original device via grand jury subpoena on December 9th, 2019. Now, small Smartly, before that happens, the shop owner makes a copy, sets it in his desk, and for a year, or for almost a year, doesn't do anything with it. But once he realized the FBI wasn't going to do anything with it, and uh, it basically was a cover-up operation, or a suppression operation, I should say, um, he contacts Rudy Giuliani's attorney and gives him a copy. So what I have is not the physical, I don't have Hunter Biden's physical laptop. That is at the bottom of a river, probably outside Wilmington, Delaware. The FBI probably got rid of it or burned it, but I have a copy of a hard drive. And so those, those terms for you and me, we know what we're talking about, but some people are like, you know, how can they claim to have the original device? It's like, we use the term laptop and hard drive interchangeably, but what we have is a copy of his hard drive. So, um, it's an, it's an insane story about how somebody whose dad, by the way, his dad announced for president 13 days, uh, no. Yeah. 13 days after he left his laptop there. <laughs> so it, it, it all, it's, it's God's plan, but it was a hell of a ride to get there. And now, like you said, or like I said, he is, he's suing the shop owner for quote invasion of privacy. Mind you, he didn't, his lawyer didn't even cite any statutes. They cited a Delaware common law that says that it was an, it's an invasion of privacy. And they actually not directly, but indirectly referenced the Pamela Anderson sex tape, <laughs> even though that was a case of a sex tape being stolen out of a, out of a, out of a, uh, a safe, right? Yeah, he signed a 90-day contract that said, hey, if you don't pick this up, it's my property. Now. Yeah, so and so it's a completely, completely different scenario, but that's what they're going off of. And 
they also sent me another letter. They sent me a letter the first week of February demanding that I apologize to Hunter uh, for defamatory uh, statements. But again, for it to be defamatory, it's got to be false. And that I that you have to have uh, that I have to have uh, said it with actual malice. I say it with no malice. This is a, like you said. This is a tragedy. Why would I? Why would I celebrate the fact that I think the 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 president of my country is compromised by foreign interests because his son still has a ten percent share in a CC back, CCP backed fund? Um, why I, I take no pleasure in that. So they're saying that I defamed Hunter without telling me what I lied about. Uh, or what, uh, you know, what, uh, basically disregard for the truth I had. Weirdly, Marty, I've, I've actually corrected more fake news about Hunter Biden than even his own attorneys. There's been a lot of false information out there, but this, and, and a lot of it was seeded through this, uh, Chinese oligarch that just got arrested, mm-hmm. uh, Miles Guo, mm-hmm. his, his yes. outlet called G News put out a ton of fake bullshit like in October of 2020 they said that Lady Gaga was on the laptop that Malia Obama was on the laptop that Hunter was like banging six-year-old girls none of that was on the laptop so they actually hurt our cause a little bit because they did have some verifiable information but they also created a couple hoaxes that I still to this day have to correct the record about yeah there was that uh the picture of Malia Obama's American Express card yeah and I've I've had to I, I made a couple tweets about that and I said that I certainly believe that it's Malia Obama's credit card because, first of all, nobody denied it. But that actually came out December of 2019. Uh, and again, two things can be true. Malia Obama, just like her daddy, Malia Obama could be snorting cocaine and that could be her credit card. Totally plausible. All I'm saying is that it wasn't on Hunter Biden's laptop. And what they what they do to equate the two is they take one of these porn videos that Hunter shot with a girl that looks like Malia Obama, but that was actually his employee. And the reason why we know that is because a whistleblower from within inside a U.S. bank, actually the anti-money laundering department, approached my nonprofit and gave us five, five suspicious activity reports. And the girl in that video is listed in the SAR. Hunter Biden's firm paid her 45 grand in one year. She was basically his assistant and hooker. And so he's 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 uh, having sex with this girl that's listed in the SAR that we have. And she just happens to look like Malia Obama. Yeah. Well, and I think <laughs> it's really important that you're pushing back because it's obviously spread like wildfire. They did. They across did. the Internet. And I think for what you're trying to do here is like, no, we need to focus on the facts of what's actually happening. Yeah. Why would I accuse Hunter of something he didn't do? I mean, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> if 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 somebody said that I, you know, did the thing like the, I'm not saying that Hunter's beyond uh, being a pervert and screwing underage girls. I'm not saying he's never done that in his life. I'm saying the copy of the laptop that we have does not contain those videos, and uh, that's that's really all there is to it. Now there are two other laptops that he lost in the same year. So somebody who. Again, could not let's say they're not convinced by my explanation that he just forgot to pick it up. Consider this fact. You know the the feature on the iPhone, find my iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. He activated that fifty seven times in a couple of years. So this is a guy who, by his own admission, was smoking Parmesan cheese off the carpet and was losing his iPhone fifty seven times. So it just stands to reason. Like, let's say I, I, somebody on the street, you approach them and say, hey, could this be plausible? Somebody lost their iPhone 57 times. Could it be plausible that they 
forgot to pick up their laptop. Well, of course. So, and again, the other scenario that he forgot his laptop was he left it at his Republican psychiatrist's home. Why he had a Republican psychiatrist named Keith Ablo, who, by the way, lost his medical license in Massachusetts. He's a pervert. He was basically having sex with his patients, getting him high on ketamine and having sex with them. Look, Keith Ablo was a Fox News psychiatrist. Like he, he was a contributor to Fox News as a popular psychiatrist. Hunter Biden was his patient for six months from the end of 2018 to the beginning of 2019, just four years ago. And Hunter left another one of his laptops at Keith Ablo's house. Keith Ablo puts it in a safe. Then Keith Ablo gets raided by the DEA because they were suspecting that he was running a pill mill. Can't make it up. And so during the DEA raid, they come across Hunter's laptop and then ship another another of Hunter's laptops and then ship it to Hunter's attorneys. So he we Kevin Morris confirmed to us that they have that laptop now. So that's another laptop. So he leaves one at the repair shop. Two months earlier in 2019, he leaves one accidentally with Keith Ablo. And then another one, he tells a hooker on January 6, 2019, that a group of Russian drug dealers in Vegas stole another one of his laptops. So this is a man who activated Find My iPhone 57 times. And this is a man who, through negligence or theft, was departed from three of his MacBooks. <laughs> so it does. It's, uh, I'm going into that and belaboring the point just to say that it stands to reason that this guy forgot his laptop. Yeah. So anybody who, who, who says that there's no possible way he could do this had, hasn't looked at the, the data that's on his one laptop. Yeah, if you're losing 57 iPhones, it isn't hard to imagine that you would forget <clears throat> about one of them. Oh, I mean, I think I've had to do that twice. One of them was overseas, and I, <laughs> I didn't even know how to activate Find My iPhone. It's like this annoying sound. So Hunter was doing that all the time. We calculated just on electronic payments alone, so not the cash, and he, he would always take like 800 He would do his daily limit from the ATM. We have like $800, $800, $800 from the ATM, but just electronic payments alone, that for in a one-year period, he spent about 170 grand on hookers and blow. Yeah. So this is somebody who was completely out of control, and again, wh- while he was on this bender, Marty, he was still on the board of Burisma. So while he was spending 170 on uh, blow and hookers, Burisma was still paying him 45,000 $45, euros a month to be an independent director working on corporate transparency for Burisma. Mm-hmm. And so like the Burisma connection, obviously Burisma's in Ukraine. Like, Do you think there's any evidence that our, the administration's posturing on Ukraine is being influenced by any of the connections? I think that the one thing that's relevant in the current proxy war is that Hunter's uh, VC firm, which changed names, that's a common tactic of these guys. They change the name of the funds. If there's like corruption being exposed, they'll just quickly change the name. So for years, it was called Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners. But now it's uh, but now it's called Pilot Growth Equity. They invested in in Metabiota, and they still have an ownership share of that. And Hunter owns some of that firm. So what you have is Metabiota, who, by Victoria Newland's own admission in the U.S. Congress, through the prime contractor Black and Veatch, was operating bio labs in Ukraine. And Hunter Biden owns a part of an investment company that's invested in Metabiota. 
so that's that's the only connection. Sorry, I'm drinking a cup of coffee. I just burped a little bit, but um, that's the only connection that I can strike uh, between the current fiasco because that's the only thing I have paper for. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there's not something more, but the fact that the son of the U.S. president could still own a portion of a company that's invested in biolabs in Ukraine is in any other regime news. Mm-hmm. But that's the only connection we have, or hard connection we have. That's the only hard connection we have right now. Um, but again, ironically, the the person whose bank records the Congress just subpoenaed, because that came out this week too, right? And I think that's part of the reason why Hunter filed his countersuit this week, because Jamie Comer finally subpoenaed bank records from Bank of America and showed some of these wire transfers coming in from China. And what they did was they set up a front man to handle these payments. So the Bidens didn't directly receive the money from China. What they did was they put Rob Walker, who's a former uh, Clinton staffer and whose wife was Jill's personal assistant, Betsy Walker. He received the, the wire transfer first. So like $3 million over a couple months, it was 6 million, but the first $3 million wire comes in to Robinson Walker LLC's bank account at Bank of America. And then it goes to the Bidens. So it's just a typical money laundering tactic of layering. You put as many layers as possible between the ultimate sender and the ultimate recipient. And hopefully you throw off these bank regulators who are trying to track the wire transfers. Yeah. And so the reason why I bring up him is because Rob Walker to this day, the guy whose bank records were just subpoenaed by the U S Congress to this day, Rob Walker is one of the managing directors and chief owners of pilot growth equity, which is invested in Metabiota. <laughs> so he, he's the main, I would say the first person they need to force to testify. And again, he can invoke his right, to, uh, he, he can invoke the fifth and not not speak, but he still has to produce documents, would be Rob Walker. And so Congress is subpoenaing, subpoenaing for this information. Yes. Does that mean they're actually going to try and do something here? Do you think there's any teeth behind this? Uh, somewhat. I'm so, like, like, I assume you are. I am so jaded by the U.S. Congress. My only hope, in, at this, like we say at the end of this report, we do not believe that Hunter will be held accountable at the federal level because Joe will pardon him. I guarantee you, and this is speculation, but I guarantee you there's a blanket pardon ready to go. Well, I think there's like a bigger, I'm not even worried about hiding, like Joe's connection, like is it treasonous? I guess that's the number one question. Like should we be, <clears throat> is Hunter just a distraction from the, the meat of the problem here, which is overt... Joe international corruption um, and influence peddling. Like you said, I mean, you said it better than me. A hunter is just the conduit. Our focus has always been Joe. That's why we, that's why it's called the Biden laptop and not just the Hunter Biden laptop. It's a, it, because it's, it's correspondence with the entire family and every single sibling of Joe's there, every single job that a sibling of Joe has held has been in some way connected to Joe's public office. So, like, none of them are, like, independent insurance people. They're all, like, political consultants or business consultants, and their clientele are people who have business that could be affected by Joe's public office. It's truly astounding. So we don't cite the statute for treason in this report because we need other things. We would need, for example, uh, call logs. One of the one of the things we explicitly state that the Congress needs to subpoena, and I will find the page in the report so somebody can follow along, is um, 
is Joe was given a second iPhone for the entirety of his VP term, and it was paid for by Hunter's firm. So what does this mean? The VP was given a government-issued phone that's probably hardened and uh, less likely to be tapped by the White House uh, Communications Agency. I worked at the White House for two years, and so I know somewhat how this works. But Hunter's firm, and because we have the AT&T payments, we know that this was for Joe because he says his initials, the president's initials are JRB, Joseph Robinette Biden. And so anytime they're talking about Joe, they don't say Joe. They always put JRB. They always use initials. He ha- Joe has seven different aliases, Peter Henderson. It's wild. Um, the it's, big guy. Yeah, the big guy, uh, my chairman. Um, another one is Robin Ware. Is Pedo Pete real? Or is no, that-, <laughs> that was the, that was a nickname that. Uh, so guess what? Hunter Biden actually has another guy named after him, his nephew. So Bo Biden's son is named Hunter Biden, and that was Hunter Biden's name, weirdly and mysteriously, for his sister Natalie on his iPad. And we have the iPhone. We have there's two. There was two backups on his laptop, and we can take credit for getting into the iPhone backup. It was, it was 29 gigabytes, but there was also a backup of his, of his nephew's iPad, which was on the laptop. And so we got into, we got into both of them and that's where we discovered that the the pedo Peter thing was, was for his nephew, was his nephew's name for his own sister in the iPad. And they're, they're 12 year old kids, you know, they're going to be goofy and stupid and Kids have every right to be that. Yeah. So that was just a. No, that's a good important clarification because people were running with. I that. know, and we we got Breitbart credit to Breitbart. We got Breitbart to issue a correction because they ran with that story, and I immediately messaged on Signal, the author of that piece, and I said, "Hey, not that this is that important, but like that's not that's not true." Uh, that was when in July of twenty, we got into the backup in June of twenty twenty two. In July, his iPhone backup was leaked on four chan. Mm-hmm. That's yes. what it was. It wasn't the four hundred. There's been talk of like four hundred and fifty extra gigabytes. That's just boomer talk. They don't understand. They don't understand Max and what the data limitations are. There was twenty nine extra gigabytes, and it was in this iPhone backup that was manually backed up to you know because some people can do iCloud backups like I do, but that's not what Hunter did. He manually on February six, twenty nineteen, backed up his iPhone, and we were able to get into that because we found the password in his Mac keychain. <laughs> I was just, we, you know, we're nerds. So we just played with the Rubik's cube long enough to be able to get into his iPhone backup. And we, I will tell you that like my palms were sweating in June of 2022 when he got into that because I knew it was going to delay our report even more because there's so much shit. There's a lot of stuff that he manually deleted after he backed it up because he didn't want it on there. Like a lot of the sex videos were on his iPhone backup. Like the, of course there's some, some on, there's some on the main laptop, but the, some of the most wild stuff, for example, have you, have you ever seen the picture or the video of him naked with a gun, the air gun mm-hmm. that was on his iPhone backup? We gave that to the New York post and that, um, that sort of in weirdly, that was the same week that his, uh, his sister-in-law took his gun and put it in a dumpster outside of a public high school. Do you remember that story? Yes. That that involved multiple felonies. Weirdly, Joe was the guy who sponsored the Gun Violence Prevention Act or whatever that that made that a federal felony. Ironically, Joe was the guy in the Senate who made it a federal felony to have a gun uh, within it within a, a thousand feet of a school. And so his own family violated the felony that he instituted and pushed for. So the reason why we bring up that is not, again, because we want to 
bring up, you know, stuff that that uh, just embarrasses them. What we're saying is that the level of hypocrisy is astounding that Joe can institute these very laws and then his own family doesn't get uh, held accountable for them. Yeah. In any way, shape, or form. Uh, Hunter actually tells his sister-in-law who did this that uh, some guy could have blown his sister's head off from the school because it was, it was a loaded gun in a trash can. Yeah. Hey, by the way, a, uh, uh, some, a homeless person who digs through the trash was the one that returned the gun <laughs> to the store. They like days later, like there was a whole state police investigation on the iPhone backup. We found two of the agents that worked on it, Millard Greer and another guy whose name is evading me here. I'll find it real quick. Again, it's a, we can do a keyword search on the laptop. There it is. Um, John Penrod is the other guy who worked there, both with the Delaware State Police. We called them. I've called every single business associate that was featured in this report. I called. I called every drug dealer and every single hooker in the Biden laptop to get their comments and see if they wanted to talk on the record about Hunter. Did, Couple, it, did any uh, take A lot that? of them told me to fuck off. Most of them just said, no, I'm not interested. And, um, and a few talked. Like we, there was one hooker that talked to us a lot. She was paid like $18,000 by Hunter. She lives in Brooklyn. Um, and she's actually somewhat conservative mm-hmm. for her politics. Um, obviously, you know, being a stripper and a hooker is not the most conservative form of life, but nevertheless, she like hates Joe's public, uh, public positions. But she won't, she won't talk about, she knows so much about the first family because Hunter would basically vent to these hookers mm-hmm. about his problems with his dad. Fascinating. So there are hookers out there in America that know more about the American first family than probably some foreign intelligence agencies. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's just astounding because at the same time he's meeting with these hookers, his dad was already on the ticket running for president. Yeah. Um, and again, why does this matter to me and you? Because there are, to this day, extraordinary blackmail opportunities for this family. Well, that and then the other thing I would really like to dig into, because it's always yes. really frustrated me, which is like the FBI had the laptop, didn't do anything about it. Like nope. people throughout the intelligence apparatus and even like within the federal government um, at like the administrative level had mm-hmm. access to this going back to Bobolinsky, like he did an interview with Tucker like a couple of weeks before the election and just everything has been swept under the rug, which leads me to ask the question, like what are the ulterior motives of these agencies? Like is Joe just one big proxy as well that they're using to, to push forward their agenda? Like, is that why they're suppressing all of this? Yeah. I think that remember Joe wasn't the favorite to win the nomination. He got fourth in Iowa he lost in New Hampshire, and then magically he gets resurrected and wins South Carolina with the help of James Clyburn and becomes the nominee. So he wasn't – he was that old white guy nobody wanted to listen to for the longest time, and then he becomes the nominee. So I think that Joe was in – Joe was a deliberate pick, unlike, say, the 2016 election where you had somebody who the establishment didn't want, the GOP. They did not want Trump, right? But um, with Joe – you have somebody who was handpicked. And I think, like Obama said, his goal was to find somebody that he could he could have a third term and sit in his his uh, his yeah. basement yeah. with sweats on. And he has Susan Rice there. He had Ron Klain there. So many people from 2009 to 2016 are in, 
are in the White House now. So I think that it's it's really an Obama's third term or a third term by Obama's proxies. And again, uh, anybody who watches press conferences with Joe knows that he's not all there. And in fact, that goes back into one of our that's well, another sad thing. Like he's yeah, very Hunter, visibly mentally impaired. Yeah, I think he has Lewy body dementia. Very, very uh, early on stage. I'm not saying that it's progressed, you know, to the nth degree. I'm just saying it's early onset Lewy bodies. And Hunter in 2018 admits that his dad has dementia. He's in a conversation with Keith Abloh, and uh, Keith Abloh was wondering, you know, can he remember with the dementia and all? And Hunter said, uh, uh, "No, but it's all fake news now anyway. So who cares?" Uh, so, so this Hunt, is on the laptop. Uh, yeah, on the laptop. And we, we, we go into these interactions in our report on pages. If I just type in dementia, um, on on page 555, we have two separate text message conversations between Hunter Biden and Keith Abloh. And he one of the one of the things that Keith asks is, does he recall details, though, with the dementia and all? And Hunter says, not much, though. But these days, it's it's all fake news, so I don't see the problem. And so that's 2018. That's five years ago almost. Yep. Yeah. So so we're not saying that, that Joe is completely out to pasture, but when your own son uh, to his psychiatrist admits that you have dementia, it— it, again, these aren't my words. I'm just, I just went through this thing and did so many keyword searches, man. Like I just, I, by the way, everybody can go see the emails at bidenlaptopemails.com, but they can also, they can go see all of his text messages, which we have uploaded to our website and redacted the social security numbers, credit card numbers, and genitalia. So you can go to marcopolousa.org and download all of his messages. There's just over 700 iMessage conversations. And again, you can find messages with his own dad. So between the, the president and his son. Um, and again, part of those part of those text messages are, are Joe saying to Hunter, like, call Jeff Cooper. He wants to do some business with you. So there's so Joe is actually Hunter's headhunter in key ways. Like he scopes out new new contracts for Hunter, which goes against everything he said, which is I have no involvement with my family's business. It, it has always struck me, Marty, is why is Joe taking that that? implausible position Joe could just take a much more reasonable position and say even though it'd be a lie that you know I don't know all the details about my family's business but he be like a true liar he backs himself into a corner by making an outlandish claim like he's very defensive and says that I've never talked to, to Hunter about his businesses whereas this laptop completely disproves that so I don't know he takes these positions that make it impossible for him to be nuanced and mm -hmm. why and why is that it's like when you when you get caught on something sometimes you overcompensate and you're overly defensive <laughs> you know what i mean yeah no totally and you're just like no i have nothing to do with it but yeah <laughs> this is it we have the evidence on the table right now like, do you have any hope that anything i mean i know you don't think hunter will be probably like at the federal level no my only hope is that a state ag uh grows a backbone and charges him at the state level because state level crimes can't be pardoned by the president. How so, many how many states would have the potential to do this? Uh, seven at least, but by potential, I'm I'm discounting all of the Marxist AGs. So he committed a lot of state level offenses in New York and California, um, and those people won't touch Hunter. So the two states that I'm particularly interested in are Arkansas and and uh, and. Louisiana, because they are 
number one, non-Marxist. And number two, there's a vast paper trail involving those two states in, in this laptop. So a couple of them have shown interest and reached out, but I... I don't, I wouldn't bank on it. You know, we sort of wrote this as a historical thing. So it's not, um, we're, we didn't promise justice. That, I mean, the only people that can do that are the feds or the state level uh, law enforcement. So we're, we're not, you know, we we don't operate in the land of hopium. Like we just wanted to lay all this out because we thought it, there hadn't been like a thorough treatment of the, uh, of this, of the debacle yet. But, you know, sitting here in Austin, like, like I said at the beginning, there's people in this report that touch on almost nearly every American city and state. There's a connection to pretty much every state in this. Even if Hunter didn't commit a crime there, one of his, one of his associates will have a connection. So like Rob Bindler, who's the business partner to Hunter's attorney, Kevin Morris lives, you know, 15 minutes from here. And he's one of the people that infiltrated the set of my son, Hunter in Belgrade, Serbia and lied and basically, swindled this like nonprofit Irish immigrant filmmaking group. And it's just disgusting. There's actually a bar complaint against Kevin Morris right now in California. He won't get in trouble because his buddies run the bar in California. But uh, yeah, Kevin Morris personally threatened me and more importantly, my nonprofit and said he was going to take all of our money, which again, we have none. We're a nonprofit. So uh, he wants to sue me personally. That's why they're not sending these cease and desist letters to our nonprofit which is why I'm not responding because I'm acting on behalf of the nonprofit, not myself. So uh, we'll, we'll see where this goes. I think that the state level prosecutors though have to be the ones to do something. And the, what I would do, and again, I'm not in this, but the money laundering offenses are cut and dry and they have a statute of limitations of five years. And so the money laundering state level offenses carry big penalties and they're within the statute of limitations, and there's something that can be done quickly. The investigation can be done quickly. We don't have any – we're not delusional. We don't think that this report's going to be put in as a complaint in a court pleading. What we want, wanted to do with this was basically create the starting point. If you're reading this with clear eyes, you'll say, well, that's interesting. They put the, the, uh, the iPhone number and the contact information and the picture of the person who was involved in this crime. Why – you know, if I'm in law enforcement, why not dig deeper? why they, they should be sending subpoenas for the phone records for these particular phones because they'll, they'll produce, uh, f- you know, fruits and evidences of crimes. Yeah. And it's, it's just very frustrating because it seems very overt. And again, going back to me personally, just being disenchanted by the whole political system and apparatus, it just seems like, again, you mentioned, you didn't say it explicitly, but it's like rules for thee, but not for me. And yeah. What 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 should American citizens take away from this? Well, number one, I think that they have each American citizen has a duty to know what's going on within their own sphere of influence. So this report, again, it was compiled by a group of guys, not me. Pers- I wrote it, but the the research that went into me writing it was half a dozen guys. And what we used were, yes, private investigators, but also public records. So I would, if if I were sitting at home watching this, I would say that um, there's vast amounts of research that you yourself can do if you have a, if if you know how to navigate the business registry domain for a state, the 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 ability to know the difference uh, between um, you know LLCs, LPs, for example, the SBF and FTX debacle, the amount of open source research that went into that company and that person within 72 hours of it crashing was astonishing. I was just tracking Twitter and 
within a couple hours, you had every political donation he made. All these talks that he appeared on in 2019 and 2020. All of the trips that he, not all of them, but a lot of the trips he took, who he's talking with, who his parents are connected to at Stanford. So that is very inspiring to me as somebody who is a researcher at heart. And that's why Whitney and I get along as somebody who's a digger at heart. I think that this laptop is just a gold mine. Yes, I've gone through every single email, but I was just looking for the crimes. There's a lot that you can do just going through these emails to to find uh, to find the fruits of other crimes that don't re- that don't directly relate to the Bidens but directly relate to their associates. So, um, it, you know, everybody has access to the internet mostly in America. Everybody can look up who the beneficial owners of a company are, except if you're in Delaware because they don't list it. And everybody should know what what the financial holding picture is of their elected officials. That's I think the the takeaway is to have a greater level of granularity about the people that rule you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that that's one of the one of the takeaways, and to just document the human comedy of it all. Have you ever read the book Bonfire of the Vanities? I have not. By Tom Wolfe, he wrote other books called um, A Man in Full, I Am Charlotte Simmons, Back to Blood. He was a novelist. He's dead now. He died in 2018. But that this report. And the content on this laptop is sort of like a Tom Wolfe novel. Like his goal was, he he always said that he wanted the full panoramic picture of the United States. And that's what we've tried to do with this dossier is put the full panoramic picture of the U.S. first family. So you're not just getting one-off articles. Like we put whole family trees in here. Nobody, Nobody had even done like a true family tree. There's actually two unacknowledged girls in the Biden family. Everybody knows about uh, Hunter's love child, right, that he was forced to start paying child support for. Mm-hmm. But there's actually another unacknowledged girl. Uh, it's the daughter of Joe's younger brother, Frankie. She's not even listed in obituaries. We had to get, uh, we had to go through, uh, basically, Frankie listed her on one bio of his. And all the info we had was that her name was Megan and she was a nurse practitioner in Virginia. And so we looked at the uh, HHS government database to look at all the nurse practitioners named Megan in Virginia. There's 76. And we, had, we went through each one of them and finally found her. Her name is Megan Jester Walker. And so the, the point that I'm trying to get at is our, the U.S. First Family has two like secret girls in their family and Nobody, nobody thinks that this is like incredible. I'm not, I'm not saying it's the most important story in the world. What I'm saying though, is that it's an incredible carnival. I don't think we've ever had that in American history where you have a family with two people that they won't even list in obituaries. They don't, there was a big, the big funny controversy that they wouldn't give a white house stocking to Hunter's daughter. So even though they have nine grandchildren, like Joe's to this day in public says he only has eight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Genghis Khan stuff where they don't even know all their kids. Yeah. And that's <laughs> it's like, would you describe, that's the other, there's like always the big debate, particularly in the Bitcoin world, like talking about like WEF, political elites, intelligence apparatus. Like, are these people criminal masterminds? Or are they just, just purely <laughs> evil? Um, and just want to brute force their view of the world on the, on the pod, I don't think the Bidens are the driving force. I think the Bidens are whoring themselves out. I think that um, the people like Larry Fink and all the the Finks of the world and Klaus Schwab, I think they have 30 IQ points on the Bidens. And Joe is their perfect guy. 
because he's being used as a as a vessel for them. So you you mentioned Hunter's a conduit for Joe, but Joe is a conduit for all these other people. Mm-hmm. And so what our report goes into is not the BlackRock and Vanguards of the world, although that is ripe for a dossier. But our our report is on the vessels that the Black Rock and, and Vanguards use, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the coordinators that they use. And Joe, again, he's been in public office since he was 29 years old. He won the U.S. Senate when he was 29, got sworn in three months after he was 30. And he's been at this for over 50 years. He just turned 80 last November. Um, so we have an 80-year-old president. We, one thing I wanted to mention on this show is that we, and one thing I want to talk to you about is we live in a gerontocracy, man. We have people who won't get off the stage. I like know. Tom Brady, he's ruining his legacy right now because he's becoming the Brett Favre. He can't retire. Like, he, he doesn't know when to leave the stage. He can't, he, it's like the ring in the Tolkien novel like it's it's his precious and uh i i think that's very sad just like our you know we have u.s senators that are like 88 do you really believe that they're gonna know what to do about uh digital currencies and all this stuff they don't have a clue no i mean you've had yellen he's not even like technically a politician yeah i'm gonna see how secretary of the treasury she was up there she couldn't even she's 77 she's 76 yeah she couldn't even explain like the banking system or couldn't logically convince people that the measures they're putting in place in the aftermath yeah. of the Silicon Valley bank, uh, failing, like she couldn't even induce confidence that like people wouldn't just leave regional banks for the big banks. That w- I was watching that interaction last night with what James Langford from Oklahoma. Yes. He's yes. like, he's like, what's stopping them from big depositors from taking their money out? Yeah. Yeah. They, and again, this isn't just a youthful, youthful men bitching about old guys. This is these are people who are beyond their prime, though. I don't think the human mind at eighty six, at seventy seven, at seventy seven is 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 typically. I'm not. There's exceptions to every single rule. Just like how most stereotypes have truth to them, there's also people who defy stereotypes. Like I'm German, but I don't wear socks or sandals. Right? There are people who, <laughs> there are people who stick out of the box. So, take what I'm saying, not you, but figurative you. There are exceptions to this rule, but in general, like 85 year olds are not going to have the mental dexterity to lead a republic with 330 million people plus all the illegal immigrants. So I don't think that it's, it, we are ruled in by a gerontocracy. Yeah. And it's particularly alarming considering, I mean, I'm into Bitcoin. I focus on Bitcoin because I do truly believe that. Is that automatically update? Yes. Okay. I do truly believe that the incumbent financial system is standing on a base of quicksand that is quickly eroding beneath mm-hmm. it. And then going back to Yellen's comments yesterday, the day before, mm-hmm. it's like these people are not equipped to usher in the next era of monetary policy or monetary, the monetary system that we're going to need to build. And they would like to push us into the CBDC future. I think Bitcoin, which perfectly preserves private property rights, freedom of speech, and uh, freedom of association uh, is the way to go. And the people, the gerontocracy in charge, simply, like you said, does not have the mental dexterity or the 
context of the digital world to even understand this. They're they're living in an analog world. We actually, you know, the first guy to get this material was Rudy, and I respect Rudy's patriotism, but nevertheless, we call him technically deficient in the report. Dude, he can't operate like a basic iPhone. Like when he was going <laughs> when he was going on television in October of 2020 talking about the contents of this, he would like print out a very grainy, low-resolution screenshot and then hold it up to the camera, right? Like, he didn't send the Newsmax producers a high-resolution screenshot of that which he was talking about. It's like, dude, where... If you yourself don't... There's a lot I don't know how to do, but I try to surround myself with people who, who know what how to do stuff. So if I'm doing an interview with Newsmax and I'm talking about one particular text message from the Biden laptop, I'm not going to print it out on a Canon printer and hold it up to the camera. I'm going to send it to their producer so they can put it up on the Chiron, right? So basic things like that. Um, I think we're getting somebody else. Um, Basic basic tech stuff like that. uh, It's so frustrating. I so wish I had this material earlier when when all of this stuff was first coming out because I could have produced this dossier quicker, but I didn't get a copy of it. Uh, so here we are, but yeah. What is your, what is your hope for the future of the United States? Like, obviously we're a bit beholden to this gerontocracy yeah. for the time being. But again, I focus on Bitcoin cause I view it as a way to opt out, just exit, like say, Hey, you guys go fuck up your financial system over here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put my savings in Bitcoin and work to make sure that the system becomes more robust and utilized by more and more people. And hopefully at some point in the future, more and more people wake up that mm-hmm. this is better than the petrodollar system and just begin using Bitcoin outside the purview of the hyper-controlled financial monetary system we have today. Well, I think that we're going to... I can only speak to the U.S. because I'm not as versed as you are on the fiat system globally. Obviously, everybody's on a fiat now. But to the to the degree that we can rein in the Fed through Congress, I'm all for, but I'm not, I, I don't actually see that happening. What I, what I see in the future is a competition among states. I think that, in, that we're going to get less pastels. We're, we're going to see less purple states. We're going to see a richer blue, like a deeper blue and a deeper red. So I think the bifurcation is going to become more pronounced in that the red states are going to become redder and the blue states are going to become bluer. And I think the natural consequence of this is that you're going to have like cultural financial battles between states at a level that we haven't seen before. Um, where that goes, I don't know. I All I can do now is describe the sin that is taking place. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of our problems, Marty, are are well. Let's go back to what I did at the White House. I wore, I was basically a research assistant for a guy named Peter Navarro, who was the key trade advisor. Uh, I believe that the U.S. became strong and rich and powerful because, in part, because of our trade policy, which was modeled on Henry Clay's American system, which is free trade within the country, tariff levels commensurate with the foreign and uh, uh, with the foreign arbitrage that is taking advantage of us through slave labor, regulatory arbitrage, etc. Pollution arbitrage. Remember, everybody who's concerned about pollution should be concerned about China 
they're the they're the key emitters of it. Yeah, you're shutting down oil and gas production in the United States and trying yeah. to transition to solar, and it's all being built over there where you they're using coal, coal plants to do it all. It's it's human comedy. So I I think that a lot of these economic problems are exacerbated by our trade relationship with China and our trade deficit. So I have a heretical view on trade. I. I'm sort of an Alexander Hamilton guy, whereas a lot of Republicans and a lot of neoliberal Democrats love uh, the global trading system. I think it's horrible for us, and I think what it's going to lead to, if not changed, is a global leveling out. But what that requires is that for all the people in the first world and, and the Western world to get poorer, so you will see a leveling out, but it'll be in like the wrong direction <laughs> for us. Yes. Like AEI always quotes these studies that the bottom three billion people in the world have went from one dollar a day to three twenty five a day. Look at what trade has done for us uh, on this side of heaven where we have nation states. That's awful for us. So I think that true to use a to use a word that leftists love true development has to occur organically within a country, meaning we can't make Bangladesh great by giving them T-shirt jobs. They have to organically develop into a strong state on their own. We can't just give them trade giveaways. And so what I mean is that we have so many trade imbalances now. If you go search, there's a, there's a, a, a slide that Trump holds up in a meeting about the tariff levels for an assortment of goods. And the U.S. always has lower tariff levels in other countries. And the way I look at that is this. Our, our producers have barriers to exports that they don't have. And we're the, lo- we're the open market of the world. Basically, the U.S. honors its agreements in trade by letting other companies' products come in here, or like other countries' products come in here. But we don't get that level of support from other countries. It's not reciprocated. It's not reciprocated. So that's essentially, it had no chance of passing in the, in the Congress when I was in the white house, but we, Peter helped draft legislation called the reciprocal trade act. And it was very simple. All it allowed the president to do was match the tariff level of the country that we were trading with to their level. It didn't give the president power to set it higher. We just wanted to match their tariff level, because, and we'll win because we have a bigger market. So there's a greater incentive if you if you reciprocate their tariff levels. There's a greater incentive for them to open up, which is what we want. And so uh, this is very interesting. I'm glad we got onto this because this is what I'm really interested in. I love what I'm doing at Marco Polo, but that I love what I did at the White House even more. In that, if we don't fix a trading situation, America is going to become. I talked about a greater bifurcation. What greater bifurcation that? that uh, than we've ever had than the trading relationship. It basically favors, quote-unquote, knowledge economy workers. And what you have is a, like a permanent class that whose jobs have been shipped away, and they're pissed and angry, and it creates many more social problems, I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, I see, I, I see it very – I see it in my day-to-day job. So this company, Standard Bitcoin, we're yes. a Bitcoin mining company. Uh-huh. And as a Bitcoin mining company, we need to find the lowest cost of power possible to mine Bitcoin as profitably as possible. Mm-hmm. And what we found, particularly in Appalachia, northern Tennessee, southern Kentucky, is we're able to find cheap electricity because we can go into towns, rural towns, that have falling populations, and they have falling populations because their manufacturing capacity was completely blown out with globalization over the last 50 years. Yes. So they have these massive substations that were supporting a steel plant or a large manufacturing facility. But mm-hmm. since they moved out, uh, the town is 
uh, lost a significant amount of wealth, and therefore a lot of people have moved out to go yes. find jobs in cities and stuff like that, but they still mm -hmm. have these substations that are sitting there that were producing electricity for these factories, uh, and they need to make money off of that. So we come in and we say, hey, we'll buy that electricity. But the point being, like I'm seeing this. Oh, it, with relevant as ever. Yeah, and like it's very relevant to what we do. We actually take advantage of it, mm -hmm. um, but also with the, the intent, like, hey, we can help support this, these rural communities by giving them more revenue to their yes. utilities companies, hopefully create some jobs and, and bring back some wealth mm -hmm. to these areas. But yeah, no, it's, I completely agree. I think we need to fix the yeah. trade policy and we need to look within. And one thing that fucks up our trade policy is the stupid climate hysteria, like the, the climate change narrative, the green energy transition, ESG, whatever they're calling it at any given point in time. Like going back again, force solar and wind on, on economies, don't allow people to drill oil and gas, drill for oil and gas, don't allow people to build nuclear power plants. Like that's, imagine the jobs that could be created if California wasn't so idiotic with their oil policy. They have tons of oil in California. It was once the largest producer of oil in the country. I didn't know that. They refuse to drill for oil, um, yet their demand for oil remains the same and is increasing year on year. So instead of producing it locally, more cleaner, yes. more efficiently, uh, they shut down production in state and then go tear down the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador and then ship it over shipping containers. They are able to wipe their hands clean, say, oh, we're green here in California, but yeah. it's really just masked uh, virtue signaling where yeah. they're actually consuming more oil year on year and they're just tearing down the Amazon to get it. But yeah. they don't see it. It's, not my it's like quickly cleaning your apartment before your girlfriend comes over, but you really didn't clean it. You just rearranged the coffee table. Like there's still a bunch of grime. That's what I, that's, that's the image that comes up in my head. It's like, it's not really clean at all. You're just giving the facade of it, but somebody can quickly draw the line between what you just described, just absolutely horrific policies and the people who are in office now. So I think what I'm trying to say is if we, in this report, like we allege, describe foreign compromise, then that is relevant, I believe, to these idiotic decisions. Like, why is California doing this? Um, you know, why are these, these left-wing people doing this? I think in part because they're getting some sort of payout at, at the back end. There's got to be some benefit to, quote-unquote, wanting every f vehicle in the federal fleet to be electric. It cannot just be ideology. It's got to be, there's coin in there. There's money to be made for these people in some fashion. It can't just be ideology. No. And it's, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. There's no way you mm -hmm. could go fully electric. Yeah. Oh, the the grid can't handle it. And uh, There's not enough rare earth metals on the planet to well, and imagine, the batteries in this. Imagine area. some leftists saying that they care about slavery, which obviously I do too, and I think it's abhorrent. The amount of slavery that goes into creating cobalt for the electric batteries is so much greater than oil extraction. Right. Uh, there was this guy, there was this liberal who put out a great documentary about these like seven year olds in the Congo. Um, now they're not in chains, but they're effectively in chains, like using a pickaxe to get the cobalt out of the ground. Bare feet, touching mercury. And it's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's gross. But they, they, like you said, they have a fetish for the electric vehicles. Um, I think it's an I think it's a nascent, cute idea that can't be done at scale right now. If there's a cobalt deposit that we're not aware of, and it becomes plentiful in 15 years, maybe. But right now, 
the extraction you have to do to it is simply it doesn't allow it to go to scale. So, um, but you know, all I can say is I'm, I'm excited to research these things. I think the truth matters for its own sake. So even if, even if Hunter sees no justice, let's say it's all the state attorney generals, uh, get no courage and all the statute of limitations passes and he gets a plea deal from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware, and his dad commutes the plea deal, so he doesn't have to pay the back. So he doesn't have to pay the four million dollars. Even if all that occurs, the fact that this report is written is valuable in its own sake because I, I value the truth. So that is a, that that may sound quiche to people's ears, and sort of. Um, oh well, it's very fitting that you're on this show. TFTC uh, stands for Truth for the Commoner. So yeah, and I was intrigued though by. Obviously, it has an. It, it looks analogous to a Trojan horse. It is a Trojan horse. Yes, yes. but describe why you put. What's the who made the logo and why? Was it your idea? My idea I had a designer, uh, actually bring it to life for me. But yeah, that's it's like this media platform is a bit of a Trojan horse to get alternative ideas out there, whether it be Bitcoin, having somebody like you on, a true investigative <laughs> journalist researcher. Uh, touching topics that others in the mainstream or yeah, I can't even get Christian sites to have me on. Yeah, like somebody based here in Texas, the stream, which is a Christian site. I have nothing against personally the writer, but the writer told me that the owners of the company don't want me on. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is, yeah, it could be a Trojan horse because you'd think that a Christian site would look at this material and say, hey, this is sin. This should be exposed, but you'll have me on and they won't. Yeah, so. <laughs> So it's a one-man operation. I mean, it's not a one-man operation. Obviously, we have Logan, but I have full uh, editorial. Yeah, just like us. We're grassroots funded. Yeah. Are you? I mean, I'm sure there's grassroots funding in your operation. We love that because there was not one person told us what that we couldn't put anything in there. And that's important to me. I don't want, to, I don't want anybody to have editorial control. Yeah. We have like a thousand small dollar donors. And... Uh, Again, we I pitched this idea to certain think tanks right after I left the White House, and nobody would touch it. Yeah. So I had to do my own thing. Well, so. thank you for chugging through and doing it because it's extremely important. Again, it's controversial. People will be like, oh, that's the thing. Like there will be people listening to this podcast. Bitcoiners don't like to be political or say, oh, why? Oh, it's not political. No. We're a five hundred one c three, and again, we criticize Republicans more in this dossier. And even if you hate me personally and don't like the way I talk or present myself, if you read the dossier, all six hundred forty four pages, and come away thinking that there's not an issue here, then you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, and we're doing a second round of printing. So in the in the um, in, in the Twitter stream, I'll, I'll post the link to that. We're doing it all all in house. I package and ship each one it's sort of analogous to like a comic you know like like independent comics do their own thing like they they find the printer they sign each copy um it's like smuggling bibles into the soviet union man (laughs) like i i i carry this thing under my arm and the reason why we have a dolphin talking about your logo is number one once you see the logo you you want to investigate it so that's why and dolphins travel in pods so that's sort of our thing that uh, one person alone is insufficient for the for the project. You got to have a team. You've got to have and the best teams are small teams. Like James O'Keefe tragically went through a coup in the last month, and I think that's partly because he got a bigger team. He so you know there's like 50 people there, and I'm like, I can't ever get to that point because then you lose control. Yeah, you lose control when you get that big, and 
that maybe is part of our country's problems. We're getting too big for, like you say, the fiat legacy systems, like to be able to manage. Yeah, and completely. They're collapsing under their own weight right now. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's the thing, like, agree. It's a shame what's happened to James, but today, we just have a camera, one producer, some microphones, some lights. The leverage that we have as individuals to like get this content out there, like I don't ever plan on expanding this team at all. Yeah, just, no, <laughs> just me and my thoughts. Like, yeah, I, people like you on. Well, I appreciate it, and hopefully the next time I'm in Austin, I have a different topic. You know, maybe I'm on to the next thing. Um, we got to get you on Rogan while you're in town. Is he here in Austin? Yeah, I thought he was in Dallas. No, he's in Austin. I we sent a copy of the f- hard copy. It's like I sent you to one of the fighters in the UFC. See that knows him, but I don't think we've got it to. We've always joked that Jamie won't like me because <laughs> I'm right wing, even though I'm not a Republican. He'll think I'm a Republican. I'm not literally um, never been part of a party. In fact, what attracted me to work for Trump was his hatred of the Republicans. He called him stupid. He called him weak. Uh, that was part of the best parts of the campaign, in my opinion. Um, I hope that um, I hope that Jamie will let me on. I yeah. hope that. That uh, if Rogan hears about me, that Jamie doesn't veto me. Well, but you know what I love about their show? They fact check in real time. Mm-hmm. So when I say something, like there's probably half a dozen times I reference something else that's not in a report. I want Jamie to look that up on Google at the you know at the moment I say it. So if I'm wrong, that they can correct. Yeah, well, that's I think one thing that you've done extremely well presenting this report and the way you present it in person is just say i'm sticking to the facts here's the primary sources yeah this is all i'm not gonna like run on conspiracies with malia obama's credit card or <laughs> pedo pete like that, that was not in the laptop so i will not validate that yeah and i don't want to get remember if hunter sues me it will be a masterful civil trial because we'll get to present all of this in a setting that can be, you know, transcribed and put into the record. If he really wants to go, because he threatened to sue me yesterday. He said, if I don't apologize publicly, which I would rather die doing, I will. You have, you have the opportunity now. Do you want to apologize publicly? No, I, I, I would rather, <laughs> I, over my dead body, will I publicly apologize. They paid this $1,400 an hour attorney named Abby Lowell, who represented Bill Clinton during the impeachment, to write a letter to me. Bill Clinton's lawyer during his impeachment wrote me a letter yesterday demanding that I apologize to Hunter Biden publicly. It's so ridiculous. Um, again, if they sue me for defamation, which they've threatened to do, they have to prove that what I've said is false. So we're going to be, we're going to open up all of the emails. We're going to go through all of the Amtrak receipts and I'm going to be calling as witnesses, the women who were on the Amtrak tickets. Um, maybe I can locate him. Maybe I won't, but I don't think Hunter wants to do that. It's very stupid for him to go down this path. He should ignore me and do his doodles in a cabin in Montana. <laughs> but, Oh, and can we just, can I say one thing? Uh, Hunter is not selling original paintings most of the time. What he's selling are prints of his paintings. So he was selling prints for $75,000, something that somebody could go to Kinko's and print out. It's a joke. Like if I had a high resolution PNG image of his paintings, I could go to like Staples and, and print it out. But he's selling, I just, that's so funny to me. And he's doing this like glycee version where he blows the paint onto the canvas. It's all very odd. What we've, what the Congress, and I told him, I didn't meet with the congressman directly, but I met with the staffers for Comer. And this is the last thing I'll say. You got to 
subpoena the art LLC. You got to get those transfers, man. If if we get those transfers for his art deal, I want to come back because I think that the, those transactions are going to be fascinating. Some smoking guns there. Well, yeah. I mean, why would why would Hunter be, miraculously become a, an artist when his dad becomes a president? Yeah, yeah. It's very always very fishy. Yeah, Garrett. Thank you very much for your time. No, thank you. Um, thank you for all the hard work. I mean, it's you're putting your neck out there. I mean, this is uh, some pretty heady stuff and. There's some pretty powerful people that don't want this stuff looked into. So hopefully we can get a physical copy to as many people as possible. Yeah. We're promoting something now. We're trying to get one to each state representative. And where can they find it? And if anybody listening to this wants to pick up a physical yeah. copy. Yeah. The, physical, uh, the, the link for the physical copy is on our, our Twitter feed, Marco Polo 501 C three. And then everything else is at Marco Polo Awesome. Go check it out. Freaks Garrett. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you to Whitney for introducing us. Shout out to Whitney. Peace and love, freaks. Thank you.